This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is this is going to be a, f- a fun one. Um, Noel, I would say that you and I are at times uh, rambunctious, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I, I wouldn't say we're scallywags or scoundrels. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I've often fancied myself, Ben, a bit of a rapscallion from time to time, mm-hmm. in that only because I'm incorrigible. You just can't take me anywhere. But uh, no, I, I I don't think I may have in past life dipped my toe into the shallow end of the scoundrel pool, but I've certainly reformed long since. So yeah, I think we can squarely say neither of us, including super producer Casey Pegram, are scoundrels. I've always, you know, uh, before the word became politically charged, I liked to think of myself as a maverick uh, based on that Mel Gibson film. Yeah, uh, was it, he was like a card shark, right? Yes, he was a maverick. And um, when we were getting ready for this episode, I know out of the three of us, I can't be the only one who thought of the film Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Do you remember that one? I do. That's the one about the dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's right. That's a very astute summary. <laughs> uh, also, Steve Martin is like the one of the best banjo players in the world. He's apparently. fabulous. So it's Steve Martin, and who's his uh, who's his scoundrel c- cohort in that movie? I f- I'm forgetting now. It's definitely not Mel Gibson. We've established that guy's kind of a maverick. 
That's right. No, it's Jack, it's, it feels like a Jack Lemon type figure. It's not John I don't, Leguizamo. No, no. I'm just no, thinking of things that. that start with J. Let's see. Dirty, rotten. We, we, we must solve this. Guys, Scoundrels. we're not doing the show until we 1988. solve this. 1988. Is it Michael Caine? Michael Caine. It's Michael Caine, but I don't even recognize him. It's Michael Caine. <laughs> I was looking at the poster, and before I could read the text, I was just like, who is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I haven't just, I, I don't remember anything about the movie, except that there's a scene where Steve Martin pretends to have an eye patch, and they, they, <laughs> yeah. they're they they're basically confidence men, and they go around, you know, seducing heiresses and, and trying to con people out of their crown jewels, and, and I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but the recent uh, movie uh, starring Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway, The Hustle, is a Essentially, a uh, retelling uh-huh. of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yeah, with the uh, the said scoundrels being played by women. So women can be scoundrels too. I think it's trying to like you know give the word back to the people, you know, because you I th- <laughs> think of scoundrel, we think of a dirty dog, yeah. a man, you know, but uh, women can scoundrel it with the best of them. Yeah, let's uh, let's make sure that everybody is equally recognized in their ability to be a terrible person. <laughs> Go humans. Uh, also, just a shout out to uh, the 1979 film about another um, somewhat irredeemable character, The Jerk, also starring Steve Martin. It's classic. It can't go unsaid. Believe it or not, we're not talking about Steve Martin for the show. We could do an episode on Steve later. Maybe we can even interview him. Uh, but today we are talking about a man who is sometimes known as America's first notorious scoundrel. His name, Dan Sickles. Uh, what did he do? What made him, you guys remember that you may be familiar with that uh, cartoon sitcom, American Dad. There's an alien yeah. named Roger. And there's sure. this running joke that Roger has this alternate persona, a guy named Ricky Spanish. And he's uh, and he's a total Lothario. Yeah, he's a monster. He's worse uh, than Lothario. He's a monster. But uh, Dan Sickles is kind of like a, a Ricky Spanish. How did he get here? What are we talking about? And, and how does he help us uh, avoid romanticizing America of days past? It's a good question, Ben. And I, I want to start with a reading from this fabulous P- PBS article. Uh, I just love the way they sum this up because this is very true. Uh, we sometimes assume that people today are naughtier than those of yesteryear, that morals have decayed to the point of rotting, that lovers are less faithful, politicians more corrupt. But to name at least one strong counterargument to such supposed decline, there is Daniel Sickles, a 19th century congressman, friend to presidents, Civil War general. Not to mention, as well, a notorious philanderer, a corrupt Tammany Hall politician, an embezzler, a cold-blooded murderer, and the officer who almost cost the Union victory in perhaps the most pivotal battle of the Civil War. A real POS, this guy. And And also a fabulous piece of writing from PBS. Sure, yeah. Uh, That credit goes to Dennis Gaffney, who is the author of that piece. Uh, So yeah, this guy is a... uh, (laughs) A POS, uh, this being a family show, I propose that we we make it a running thing where we try to find different definitions of POS. So let's say um, point, point of, of scoundrality. Is that what you're talking about? I'm going to say point of scoundrality <laughs> okay, for right got now. It, got it. Uh, so, it. so, okay. So Dan is born, Daniel Edgar Sickles, October 20th, 1825, New York City. 
We know of one of his first low-life moves that occurred when he was a teenager. He was accused of stealing a hundred bucks that had been uh, given to him by a guy named Peter Cooper. Peter Cooper is a philanthropist. And according to the New York Times, in their wonderful article, The Man Who Got Away With Everything, <laughs> uh, Peter Cooper was like saintly. He was the most beloved dude in New York City. Uh, Sickles' parents put up with him a lot. You know, and it was just like a boys will be boys thing. And they sent him off to a home in Manhattan, the household of Lorenzo da Ponte. And they were hoping that uh, this that Dan would soak up some culture, that he would maybe turn his young life in a more productive direction. Um, but it didn't work out the way they had hoped. Yes. Uh, in fact, some very salacious rumors began to uh, swirl that Sickle had seduced DuPont's adopted married daughter, uh, Maria Cook Bagioli, uh, and to boot, had blackmailed her husband. So a cuckolder and a blackmailer. It gets worse. It totally gets worse. And then not too terribly long after, he would go on to seduce Maria's 15-year-old daughter, uh, Teresa. And, you know, I, I'm oh, to his credit, no, not really. Not, not really. at all. No. Uh, he did make an honest-ish woman out of her by bringing her before the uh, Roman Catholic Archbishop of New York, John J. Hughes, uh, to be joined in wedded, you know, acrimony, let's call it. Mm -hmm. uh, only because she was, like, super preggers. Right, right, like, visibly third trimester territory. Uh, the New York Times sums it up this way in their article, saying these audacious beginnings would set the pattern of Sickles' life, willful nearly to the point of madness. He was nonetheless able to win over an astonishing number of men and especially women, thanks to his good looks, dashing manner, and pension for grand gestures. Wisely, he decided to become a lawyer, since it was unlikely he would ever go very long without being hauled into court just the the shade on this thing so all this stuff in his childhood aside he does go to college he attends the university of the city of new york 1846 he is admitted to the bar he becomes a lawyer he's still a blackguard he's still kind of a, a heel uh but now he's got he's got a law degree uh and he's also active in the democratic party and he's still sleeping around like crazy, right? Oh, big time! He's what he's what, he's what today we would call a himbo. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, which is the modern uh, version of Lothario. That's exactly correct. Then in 1847, he decided to enter into uh, a long desired career in politics, um, and he won a seat on the state legislature. And he was carrying on during this time a relationship with a New York escort named Fanny White. Uh, there were also rumors that he brought uh, Fanny White to London with him on a diplomatic mission while leaving his wife home in New York and pregnant. Uh, there are some rumors about him that we know aren't true. They're a little bit too larger than life. Uh, but let's, let's talk his politics here because he won two consecutive terms in the New York State Senate. Like he was good at this, 1856 and 1857. 
Well, I think one would argue that a serial seducer and a uh, light, a longtime politician probably share similar skill sets. You know, mm. what is politics if not like seducing your constituents into believing in you? Mm. Well, there are some politicians who would disagree, but uh, I think there are many people who would note that there is a Machiavellian aspect to it, right? So uh, absolutely, and I'm 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 so oversimplifying the case a little bit, but you know, if you can talk repeatedly uh, women into sleeping with you and convincing them that you're like a good guy, uh, then perhaps that skill would also serve you well, you know, in, in politics. Ah, yes, I think it's, I think it's uh, a valid observation there. He was set to go on being just kind of a slimy dude in the political sphere of New York, but he entered national politics and he served as a congressperson in the House of Representatives from 1857 to 1861. There were people who had not heard of Dan Sickles until 1858 uh, when he rose from being, you know, just kind of like a, a well-known scalawag to an infamous figure in American politics. Noel, earlier we said that he was associated with the Tammany Hall machine. Um, and he, that's how he got his post in U.S. Congress. The story started when he was censured for bringing a sex worker onto the floor of the New York Senate. He was also kind of a, a man of ill repute because he had married that 15-year-old we mentioned, Teresa. He had married her when he was 33 and she was 15. Sorry, I keep throwing up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you think he had a reputation at this point, Ben? Like, like a, a broadly speaking, or is this just like the way history remembers him? Because uh, surely these many of these acts would have been considered a scandal for an elected official, right? Well, that's that's the thing. Um, it's not as if everybody was a paragon of perfect ideals, but uh, but I think his shadow was starting to catch up to him. That makes sense. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. 
Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only well, you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. So uh, he was elected to Congress uh, after coming to Washington uh, and being welcomed into their like innermost elite circles. Um, and then he became dear friends with Philip Barton Key, the son of famed Francis Scott Key of that weird song that, that seems to represent uh, America in some. Yeah, I've never quite understood the imagery in that one. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's a verse to that song that's more than a little bit racist that gets removed for uh, popular uh, repetition. Right, right. So. Without knowing that verse, I know that the Star Spangled Banner itself is said to be the key was inspired by seeing a single U.S. flag still flying over Fort McHenry at daybreak. That's right, Ben. And in fact, originally the song was called The Defense of Fort McHenry. And, uh, you know, sorry, we're getting off on a little tangent here. It's just starting to jog both of our memories that we actually did an entire episode on this. <laughs> right. Um, but it is a lyric that is left out that rep- that, that basically uh, it, it represents the deep uh, root of slavery in American culture. Let's just leave it at that. Oh, I mean, we could say it on air. The, the line that you're not going to hear is. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Talk Uh, about the hutzman to put slave and then land of the free, not not Uh, more than four lines apart. Yeah, not to mention that slave fix it like is basically used to fit that rhyming scheme. Slave, grave, wave, brave. That's... 
Kevin he was in a hurry. Dead. He was in a he hurry. He was definitely in a hurry. Uh, but nonetheless, he and and Sickles became good friends. And Daniel, or I'm sorry, his son, rather, uh, became good friends. And uh, Daniel often asked his pal, Key, uh, Daniel Sickles, uh, to be his wife's escort to social gatherings um, whenever he had to work late. This is a fellow congressman, by the way. Uh, or, you know, he had, like, a, a girl on the side as well. So this was, like, very much part of the culture of being, like, a politician as well, it seems, this whole idea. It's almost like in the mob. You have your, like, your wife, and then you have your guma. You know, I guess in, in, in politics in these days, you had your, your, your wife and then your, like, side girl. So Key and Teresa became friends, and then pretty quickly that turned into romance. And then uh, the soap opera begins because despite the attempts to keep their affair secret, uh, it became common knowledge in their social circle in the elite social scene of New York City. Both Dan and his wife, Teresa, had other affairs. They, they were sleeping around left and right, you know, and I, I will say uh, no judgment. I, I think everybody, every single relationship is a foreign country so if they had some kind of open arrangement that's that's up to them but dan also had a reputation for visiting brothels uh which is you know as we know is is probably not safe uh, from a hygienic perspective at this time weirdly though how weird is the misogynistic double standard here you guys uh did people care about dan's affairs and dalliances no uh, they were more scandalized that Teresa would dare to have an affair because it, it makes him a cuckold. Of course they were. This is how it was. Men were never blamed. It was always the women who were ashamed and had to carry that, like, you know, scarlet letter situation. And here's the thing. Sickles had a reputation like, it was a known thing that he liked to visit brothels around D.C. Uh, but it was only Teresa's uh, uh, affair that got people all bent out of shape. In the 19th century, a wife's affair, like you said, Ben, turned her husband into the what, the worst thing you could turn a man into, a cuckold, even though now it's used in, like, fetishy stuff. That's a different story. Um, and it undermined, in, in the eyes of this society, it would have undermined his masculinity, another horrible thing you could do, uh, and all while a husband's affairs were simply just whatever. Like, nobody cared. It was understood that men gonna be men. Um, and there were, this was even, there were like gossip columns at the time. Uh, and one particularly well-known gossip columnist called key quote, the handsomest man in all Washington society. Uh, and he, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is like basically the, uh, takeaway from what, how he was seen the handsomest man in all Washington society an eligible non-bachelor, but whatever. Right. Um, and, and they had like little signals, right, Ben? Yeah. So. Their D.C. dalliances were well-known. One reporter said that he would signal Teresa by waving his handkerchief on the street, and then they would meet at an abandoned house that was just like walking distance from the actual White House. And Teresa is on record confessing, I did what is usual for a wicked woman to do. I, I don't think she sounded so arch when she said that. However... This is not a sustainable thing. February 24th, 1859, Sickles receives an anonymous letter and he confronts his wife, Teresa, and he forces her to write a confession. And then three days go by and he sees his former friend, Key, outside of his house 
waving his handkerchief to to signal uh, for the affair to you know resume. And he went into a state of rage. And he was like, that villain is out there now making signs. So he grabbed not one gun, not two guns, but three guns and ran outside to confront this guy uh, because he is a hypocrite. Uh, he shot his wife's lover in full view of the White House. And he screamed, you scoundrel, you have dishonored my house. You must die. Because it apparently wasn't okay for other people to have affairs. Just him. So Sickles did uh, with his drawn pistol fire several times at Key and he hit him once in the leg and once in the hand. He kind of just winged him. Uh, Key made a mad dash for Sickles and gripped him by the lapels. And the two men had a good tussle uh, on the ground, rolling around. Um, and, and this was all being gawked upon by the elite who lived in this part of, of Washington. This is in a very fancy part of the city. So Sickles gets to his feet finally after breaking away from Key and fired a second shot. Yeah, in near the groin. See, Key also had a way. <laughs> weapon i guess you could say he pulled the only thing he could he had on his person a pair of opera glasses and he threw those at uh dan sickles can you imagine trying to menace somebody with a pair of opera glasses that's the most genteel thing anyone could ever be holding there's nothing less threatening than a pair of opera glasses a monocle a monocle is half as threatening that's fair. That's fair, <laughs> but but you're you're absolutely right. Uh, this does seem like an hilarious scene, but then Sickles fires again. Uh, Key Key is against the uh, fence. He's pleading for his life. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. I'm sorry. Sickles points a gun at the center of his old friend's chest. He fires. Uh, Key staggers away a few feet, and then he dies. Sickles looks around. At least a dozen people have seen him do this because he's shouting in the street beforehand and during. Uh, he runs away, but then he eventually surrenders to police a few hours later. He's charged with murder. He's taken to jail. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Like, I mean, not too terribly long in history before this, something like this would have been considered legal if it had been a duel agreed to by both parties, right? But yeah. this was not that. Because only Sickles was armed, uh, at least, you know, legitimately armed, whereas Key, you know, was essentially uh, helpless, aside from his pathetic attempt at, you know, brandishing a pair of opera glasses. So, yeah, he gets he gets he gets taken away. He does indeed get taken away. Uh, he's locked up, but he's also a former congressman. So that that gives him some special privileges. He's got some juice in the city. There he is. Yeah. Uh, so many people came by to convey their well wishes that he was able to use the apartment of the jailkeeper to entertain his guests, who were high-level federal officials, members of Congress, and so on. Then-President James Buchanan did not personally visit, but he did send Sickles a nice note. Uh, Sickles got several prominent politicians to be his defense attorneys, including one man, Edwin M. Stanton, who would later go on to become Lincoln's Secretary of War. Oh, and he was allowed to keep a weapon in jail. Just to have. Wait, why? That's that's like just to defend himself from being shanked or something? Or just like as a special privilege, he was able to have a concealed weapon in jail. Well, we don't know whether they were opera glasses, a monocle, or a gun. Fair. One would assume it was at the very least a pointed stick. 
Yes, one would assume. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This sensational murder is front-page news. It's all anyone can talk about. Uh, The New York Herald says it is a tragic affair, and they say that it is the prominent topic of conversation in homes, in public, everywhere, everywhere in the city. Uh, We know that Sickles gave interviews with the press uh, where he's not saying he's not guilty. He's just justifying it. He's like, he dishonored me. So boom, boom, boom. Yeah, this is a time when honor, at least perceived honor, (laughs) meant a whole hell of a lot more perhaps than it means today. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm just bummed out about our times currently. But yeah, I mean, it certainly was, you know, you would you would literally, you know, challenge someone to a duel for, for uh, you know, attacking your honor and reputation was 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 very, very important, uh, even though, as we know, these men did terrible, terrible things. 
behind the scenes, but you dare not accuse them of such, right? Uh, just, you know, blame it on the women. It's their fault. So, yeah, this became a massive hullabaloo. Uh, the tragic affair produced a great sensation, said the New York Herald. In the streets, the law courts, public houses, private dwellings, and in fact, everywhere, it was the prominent topic of conversation. Even President James Buchanan took sides in the sensational case. I don't know why my, uh, my read is morphing, but I'm going to roll with it. He sent a letter of support to the imprisoned congressman. Sickles told one paper... He has dishonored me, and we could not live together on the same planet. Uh, Harper's Weekly judged the outcome. They called the trial. They said, this is how it's going to go. They said, the public of the United States will justify him in killing the man who dishonored his bed. Whoa. I'm sorry. Dishonored his bed? Yeah, they weren't even at that house. They were at a different... Uh, I'm making a case on a technicality. <laughs> Maybe yeah, the wrong no point. joke. Uh, even though Sickles did admit to firing the shots that killed Key, uh, many folks were kind of on his side. Yeah, because they felt like his masculinity or his manhood were under attack. And also, again, he had a lot of juice. He hired no less than eight different attorneys to represent him during the trial. One of them, John Graham, spent two entire days in court on his opening statement defending uh, Sickles, the scoundrel. Uh, he quoted Othello to kind of justify Sickles' actions, saying that adultery was evil. And this is really interesting. He said that discovering the affair had rendered Daniel Sickles temporarily insane. This was a new concept in court. Yeah. It's, a, it's a concept that to this day gets kind of the eye roll, doesn't it, Ben? Like, temporary insanity is almost something relegated to, like, the realms of satire and comedy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, certainly insanity is a thing. Uh, that, that, but, but temporary insanity really feels like, you know, almost the equivalent of in the heat of the moment or a crime of passion. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly rare for people to successfully plead insanity you know um, but they're relying on the jury's sympathy rather than the letter of the law so graham says you know it may be tragical to and that is the word they use it may be tragical to shed human blood but i'll always maintain there is no tragedy about slaying the adulterer and then they went on to uh, attack the character of Teresa. you know they, they went on a smear campaign against her in court calling her a sex worker, calling her a murderer, uh, saying that she longed for her husband's death uh, and she didn't care how it happened, whether he died by poison or was stabbed or was shot. They called her, <laughs> they called her horrid filth. Like they weren't really pulling punches. Uh, they, they were trying to make her look like a terrible person. No, and <laughs> God, this guy's a real piece of work. He uh, sickles himself tried to cast himself as a, a, the, quote, avenger of the invaded household, meaning, <sighs> like, the scorned man, the cuckolded man. Mm. Uh, his wife um, was portrayed as compl a completely immoral harpy and that he deserved to die for what he had done. The judge is not buying this, by the way. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and his, he speaks to the jury on April 26th, and he says, look, in regards to temporary insanity, 
Dan Sickles learned of this affair and then there was a gap in time before he killed Philip Keyes. He spent three days plotting this attack after receiving that note. So just remember that. That doesn't seem very temporarily insane to me. The judge is implying. The jury deliberates for about an hour, and they say Dan Sickles is not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. It's just like a, a legal drama on television. The packed courtroom burst into applause. More than a thousand people lead Sickles through the streets in an improvised victory parade. That's not how courts are supposed to work. Yeah, you know, Ben, I had to do a little digging just to kind of see how often the temporary insanity uh, argument, you know, actually flies. And it is not very often. No. Um, like there's one, um, uh, so there's a few modern examples, but, you know, Sickles is definitely on the list. Um, John Hinckley Jr., who took a shot at President Reagan um, and also injured some police in the Secret Service, uh, he he got off on a, uh, a uh, temporary insanity plea also remember lorena bobbitt yes who uh d man she also robbed her husband of his manhood if you'll recall we don't have to get too into the details and then she threw his manhood into a bush uh she got off on a temporary insanity plea too i had no idea mm -hmm. and bobbitt survived of course yeah of course yeah but you know <clears throat> his manhood did not All or right. did they find it and put it back on i believe so yeah oh that's nice Good um deal. <laughs> it's maybe a different episode, but uh, but you're right. Yeah, uh, as I said earlier, the temporary insanity plea is is very difficult to get through court. Uh, but it works for Sickles. This is the first successful temporary insanity plea, and various papers of note are not super cool with it. The Tribune says uh, this is a most mistaken and most mischievous verdict. They say uh, it's carrying the country backwards. Here's the thing, though. The jury, even though the jury said they, they was not guilty by reason of temporary insanity, they probably didn't buy that defense. What they were really thinking of is the more Victorian morality that Key had it coming. And that even if you are a dude who is sleeping around, if someone sleeps with your wife, uh, you are right to attack them, to take revenge, or to kill them. Unless that's just like what you're into, man, you know? I can't, yeah, well, it takes all types, I guess. And so after the trial, get this, Sickles stays married to Teresa, and he says, I shall strive to prove to all that an erring wife and mother may be forgiven and redeemed. I'll say it, what a dick. Ugh. God, what an absolute <laughs> hypocrite and just, oh, just the, the gaslighting of it all, mm -hmm. you know, just the public shaming of it all, the absolute lack of self-awareness of it all. Uh, it, it just kind of makes my, makes your stomach turn, but you know what? Sickles cowardice and, uh, and, uh, and despicable behavior has many chapters, uh, to the point where we have decided uh, to make this a two-parter, um, and you know the next chapter of Sickles' despicable existence really is a completely different world. So we've gotten yeah. through the adultery, we've gotten through the trial of the century. So we're going to leave it here uh, and wrap, uh, and then and then rejoin the story already in progress next time. But in the meantime, uh, gird yourselves, ridiculous historians. This guy continues 
on his irascible journeys. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, big, big thanks to Gabe Luzier, our research assistant. Big, big thanks to uh, super producer Casey Pegram. Casey, I'm sad that this is just an audio show for now because the lighting on you looks really good. <laughs> thanks, Ben. It's uh, I'm here with some natural light by the window. The sun is going down, so uh, it's getting dramatic over here. <laughs> is it the magic hour, Casey? Is it the magic hour? Terrence Malick. That's right. <laughs> and of course, uh, also thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed that slap and bop you hear at the beginning and end of the show. Uh, who else, Noel? Oh, yes, that slap and bop, indeed. Uh, huge thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, who I think we're neck and neck with now in terms of the rankings of our, uh, our rivalry, uh, our kind of nemesis uh, scenario. I believe you're correct. I believe you're correct. So everything uh, hinges on his next appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you say Gabe already? Yes. Good. Well, let's say it again. Gabe Lussier, the man, the myth, the legend. We keep talking about it. We really need to hit him up and get him back on for a guest spot because he is a delight. That last episode we did with him about the guy that drew psychedelic cats is honestly one of my favorites in the history of the show. Agree to disagree. No, I'm kidding. It's a good one. Uh, so <laughs> it's a good one. Check it out if you haven't heard it. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Gabe. Uh, Gabe, if you're listening, uh, come back soon. We also want to hear your stories about your favorite historical scoundrels. You can tell us about it on the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Join Ridiculous Historians, uh, where we have some uh, dank historical memes and some great conversations. You can also find us on the internet, not just as a show, but as individuals. You may find me on Instagram, where I am at Brown. And you can find me on Twitter, where I'm at Ben Bull in HSW. You can also uh, message me directly on Instagram, where I am at Ben Bullen. You know what? This makes me pretty happy, you know, because uh, we are, in comparison, not that bad. Not as bad as Dan. Oh, God. Not by a long shot. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 